Hello, and welcome to One and Done TV. I am one of your hosts, Ian Hamilton. And I am one of the other of the hosts, John Polking. And this is the podcast where we review television shows that were canceled after one season, or even during one season, John. Yeah, there's a lot of those that happen, but these are, you know, this is our pilot. There are so many shows that we have to talk about because this is really like an unsung part of TV history, I feel like. Absolutely. We are dancing on these graves of these shows, whether they be good or whether they be trash. I think and there or anything in between. I mean, I think the surprising thing about canceled television shows, well, I I mean, many shows get canceled. Few actually get a finale, right? Right. And there's also uh I don't know, a lot of shows get canceled after season 6 because uh in the television industry they renegotiate contracts after season six. And if it's like not doing well enough, but it's doing pretty well, they just don't want to give everybody money. So they cancel it. So canceling TV is a very normal thing. It's as American as apple pie. (laughs) That's right. But uh, you know, the one season shows are a grab bag of blueberry, cranberry, pecan, and sometimes mincemeat, okay? Yeah. We can't forget about the mincemeats of the world. We also can't forget about those kind of pies that were meant to poison the king. You know, they weren't intended to be good. But you know right. what? We eat it anyway, and we just die a little inside. Well, I think a pie that is intended to poison the king would taste very good because you, you so? want him to eat it. Yeah, but it just needs to look appealing. If it's if it's going to poison the king, it doesn't need to taste good. I mean, depending on your strength of poison here, you know, it could just be like a one bite thing. If you want it to if it if it takes a little bit to settle in. Yeah, you're going to dump some sugar in there and make sure it tastes nice and yummy, gummy in the tummy. But I think we. I think we underestimate the power of poison. That's the point of the show. Okay, yeah, especially if it's a king, it's probably like the 15th century. It's not like they have like good medicine for it. But I'm just saying you want to make sure he ingests the poison. So you you make it taste good. That's my opinion. So whether we are ingesting poison or whether we are enjoy ingesting delicious apple or whatever pie you so prefer, uh we are here to talk about the shows that have been lost. Uh most of them have been lost to the annals of time. Yeah, and there's a there's a big library of them. I mean, think about, you know, every network, every channel that's out there now, now streaming services, they cancel multiple shows per year. So, frankly, we'll never run out of material on this. It's nope. just it it is kind of harder to find anything that's pre-2000s. Um generally. Be, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Even even something that's early 2000s has like a weird VHS uh quality you know recorded we get the you know the nice trackers the Mm -hmm. the tracking things on the bottom of it uh oh yeah but we have a lot of ample material that we're going to be you know shoving down your feeds over as long as you'll have us and for some of us for some of you that are joining us that don't know us personally this is actually the second time that we are doing a one and done show we 
first did 50 episodes back in 2014, 2015. And technically it went to 2016. So it sounds it. very impressive. Is if you go, we ran episodes 2014 to 2016, but really it was like a year that just happened to overlap. <laughs> it happened to touch three years. It was a year that touched three years. Yeah. I mean, it started at the end of 2014 and it ended at the beginning of 2016. So if you put it on a timeline, it looks very impressive. Yes, we are master manipulators of the time-space continuum. Exactly. Uh, but Ian and I lived together at that time. We have since uh, moved to different cities. I'm in Milwaukee. He's I'm in, in Austin. Well, this is great. You're already cutting me off. And <laughs> <laughs> thanks to the glories of remote technology, we can come back together. And I missed you, bud. I'm very miss, excited to be talking about these shows. Me too. I mean, this is, uh, that was a part of my life I look back on fondly. And there is, as a lover of television, as a lover of the entertainment industry, as someone who has worked in the entertainment industry, mostly as a PA, but also I'm like a writer and I do comedy and blah, blah, blah. But it, this is like such a niche topic that I think deserves to be spotlit. And so today we are actually starting off our new season, our first new season, with a show that itself is getting a reboot. It was one and done back in 2003, MTV's Clone High, which is about uh, clones of historical figures that are all thrown into high school together. And I mean, presumably they were cloned by the government around the same time, which is why they're all in high school together. And they're just dealing with normal American high school Dawson's Creek type problems. Yeah, there's a lot to unpack and we'll get into the specifics of the show in a bit. But I this show to me is so inextricably licked linked uh, to my friendship with you like do you remember how we watched this i think we what did we you use like limewire or something to... no 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 this this show i was first exposed to on napster that was because it. it i would have been a little too young for it but i assume my older brother or older sister would have been the ones to download it and it was just like we had four episodes on napster we watched them over and over again Pretty much every friend of mine that I had come over, I was like, you got to check this out. And I didn't realize that you watched it as well. I remember a couple people vividly watching it with, but. No, it's okay. I think the only person I watched it with was you. So it's nice to know that the memory was as special for you as it was for me. Well, it was uh, inextricably linked to the house that I grew up in until we moved before I was 12. So when I think of Clone High, when I think of that Napster period of my life. I think of that house, too. That's the yeah. thing. I think of that house, too. Ian and I have known each other since we were in kindergarten together. Yeah. And now we are 30. So. Yeah. So it's been a long time. Uh, a lot of ups and downs. More downs. <laughs> many many downs uh we but had a sad sad friendship 
That's right. But we we come together to bring the joys of forgotten TV, cast aside TV, to you all. And another thing about one and done shows is that it's just a grab bag. You really don't know what you're going to get. We watched shows originally that we were convinced we were going to hate so much and we ended up liking. We watched shows we thought we were going to like that we ended up hating. And although the most common reason for a show to be canceled so early is low ratings, there actually are many, many reasons business-wise, uh, you know, just personality conflicts, what have you, that these shows meet their demise. So we're going to talk about them. We're going to review them. We're going to tell you why they were canceled. And at the end of it, we're going to tell you if we would have renewed it or not. That's the promise that we're making here today. Write it down, folks. Write John, will it you, down. will you pinky promise with the listeners? Uh, this is me. Can you hear me hitting the mic with That's my right. pinky? Now kiss it. Okay, don't make out with it in well, the sloppiest way kiss. possible. I, that's how I kiss. That's how I do. Tongue Your poor first. wife. Tongue first. Tongue first, teeth second. <laughs> Throat third, lips it's, fourth. It's somehow both slimy and hard. <laughs> that is disgusting. <laughs> And on that note, let's get it going. It's showtime, baby. Five, four, three, two, one, showtime. MTV's 2003, 2002 show. I'm going to start that again. <laughs> well, it started in Canada in 2002. That's it when it first aired. Yeah. So but then it went to America? Let's leave this all in. Yeah, I so agree. It, it first aired in uh, Canada. On oh god, I wasn't ready for you to screw up like this. Uh, give me one <laughs> second. I saw a it debuted in America January two thousand three. Yeah, but it was in Canada in in uh, earlier in was it like uh, November, November November of two thousand two? It was originally titled Clone High USA. Um, wow! And then it moved. Oh no! Where did it start? Oh, here we go. Uh, yeah, it was developed. It was originally developed in 2000 under the title Clone High School USA. Uh, started by Fox. Uh, they picked it up, uh, did the production, but then uh, Fox did not want to air it. So they so they kicked it across the border to Canada. Uh, but then in November of 2002, oh, on Teletoon, Teletoon wow. in Canada. So that's uh, like Canada's lesser Cartoon Network. I mean, I think it's just Canada's Cartoon Network. I don't think we need to. We need to. Well, it's in Canada, so it's lesser. This is our American superiority complex. Yeah, but Canada, Canada got to Shit's Creek before the rest of us. So that's true. And I watched it. I like to hipster ship Shit's <laughs> Creek. Like I watched it the first two or three seasons, and then everybody didn't come around to it till like season five or six. Okay. So I was there probably like third, but everyone else was there like 10th. Your, your beard right now is, uh, is screaming hipster right now. So you're I think welcome world <laughs> on this audio medium. So yeah, it started in, 
on MTV in January of 2003. That makes sense uh, that Fox would have developed it to me because Fox really was the forefront of animated uh, adult comedy. You know, obviously The Simpsons 1989 is what really put Fox on the map, but that was right around the time Family Guy came out in 1999. Uh, so I assume they were just making a push at the time and then ended up not picking it up. Yeah, adult themed uh, stuff. They're trying to, you know, tap into this uh, this new voice, this next generation of uh, potential, you know, Simpsons creators. But it was a really interesting turning point too for MTV in the early two thousands. Um, I'm looking at a list of all of these shows that uh, aired on MTV when they started, and this seems to be like a really critical turning point uh, because. You know, post real world, you know, real world ran forever and is still being, you know, Mm -hmm. brought back. But this was kind of the reality renaissance of MTV. It started with the Osbournes premiered in 2002. Whoa, that was that long ago? That was that long ago. There was also uh, the Carmen Electra and Dave Navarro uh, show in 2002, Carmen and Dave and MTV Love Story. Oh my Uh, God, I remember that. So that was like right before. And then we get to 2003, right when Clone High starts. And 2003 is just rich with new, like, at least to me, iconic MTV shows. I mean, granted, we were 11, 12 at the time. And so we were starting to get into stuff like that. Yeah, but that's peak, like, yeah, we're we're watching MTV actively at that time. I mean, for me, me, it was a little more VH1, but I agree. For sure. Let me just throw some titles out at you that were 2003. Punked. Wow. Room Raiders. Okay, yeah. Viva La Bam. That was 2003? Newlyweds Nick and Jessica. Oh my God, Nick Lachey. How did you drop the ball on that? Keep going. <laughs> um, those are those are the ones that stand out the most to me. There's there's a wow. lot though in 2003. That's crazy because I think of VH1 as the one as the channel that really uh, launched celeb reality, but maybe that's because they branded themselves that way. VH1 was very much like the sort of pop culture section, whereas MTV was like, we're gonna lean into trash and you're gonna eat it up, piggies. Oink oink. That's true. But then, you know, VH1 ended up doing a little bit after this, like Flavor of Love, you know. uh, Yeah. What was But that was like 2006, though, too. So that was after, you know, and we look a little bit in the future. 2004 is like Pimp My Ride, Laguna Beach. My Super Sweet 16 was 2005. So Clone High really does not fit into this mold that MTV is creating at the time. Not even a little. And I'm sure that, you know, we'll get into why it was canceled, which wasn't really because of ratings or anything. But when you look at what MTV became after Clone High, mm-hmm. there's no way it would have fit into MTV's brain. Yeah, so, that's, that's crazy because I think of it as it's like it was probably trying to reclaim a little bit of its Beavis and Butthead sort mm-hmm. of vibe of like look at this insane cartoon that's on MTV uh and it becomes a sort of you know pop culture phenomenon but wow that is such a weird thing to put into this trend yeah creating but what we got was a soap opera uh populated by history's greatest figures that came 
from Ian, you want to get into who created yeah, the, the show? Yeah, the minds of uh, so Bill Lawrence, Christopher Miller, and Phil Lord all created the show. Bill Lawrence, uh, you'll probably know best from Scrubs or No Judgment, Cougar Town, uh, or Ted Lasso. Well, yeah, we'll get into that later. But I just wanted <laughs> to make a this. I've been doing this this Thirty Rock, uh, one of my favorite Thirty Rock quotes, a lot lately. Where uh, Jack Donaghy goes, "No judgment." Saddam Hussein. <laughs> and I've just been applying that to uh, big parts of my life. So Bill Lawrence, uh, he was the showrunner for Spin City. And it's, he has kind of an interesting trend because he um, only re- wrote on a couple shows before becoming the co-showrunner of Spin City. And the other guy that ran it was an older, you know, gentleman who had been in the television industry for a while that basically co-created it, showed Bill Lawrence the ropes, and then was like, okay, you got it? Good. And then he departed and just sort of collected the checks after that. And Bill Lawrence thought it was like, oh, this guy's being so nice to me and like really giving me a shot and didn't realize that he was like putting all the work on him. (laughs) Uh, so that's pretty good. And then he went on to create Scrubs, of course, and this ran in tandem with Scrubs. Like it would have been filming at the same time. I believe that because we have Donald Faison, Zach Braff, and Sarah Chalk, and Krista Miller, and John C. McGinley, and Neil Flynn all all, all voices doing voices <laughs> on Clone High. I, my understanding, I've listened to the Scrubs rewatch uh, podcast that Braff and Faison do, and mm-hmm. they said that sometimes. Bill Lawrence would just be work like he basically shoved Phil Miller or Phil Lord and Chris Miller into like one of the rooms in the hospital to work on it. And so wow. they would come in on their breaks to do these one off bit parts. Yeah, it is honestly Donald Faison probably has the most substantial characters in the show, but it feels like everyone else just has a couple lines. You know, I mean, Zach Braff does Paul Revere singing the ADD song, which we'll get into. Uh, And then so that's Bill Lawrence. And then Chris Miller and Phil Lord were just like writers in New York or L.A. that Bill Lawrence happened to meet probably through agents or something. And they don't have a lot of clout before this. But of course, they would go on to uh, do like Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse, which you'll probably know them from. Or the Lego movie, or... Mitchell's versus the Machines, they produced. Uh, right. They wrote and directed Cloudy did with they the Chance do, of Meatballs. Did they do the 21 Jump Street movies? They did. Right. So, obviously, they went on to become big names, but this is really their first big shot, and clearly they are talented individuals. And so, John, why don't you tell us a little bit about the characters? Yeah, so we follow a group of angsty historical icons as (laughs) that is the best way to put it angsty historical icons so you know the the theme song really says everything that you need to know about how it's how it comes uh you know way way back in the 1980s uh secret government employees dug up famous guys and ladies and made amusing genetic copies but now the clones are sexy teens. Now they're going to make it if they try. Uh, oh, crud. What it, is no, it loving, you, laughing, sharing, giving? Uh, sharing, are, loving, I think. Sharing, or loving. No, but then it's time to laugh and time to cry. Cry. Yeah, so I think it is loving there. Okay. So oh, the no. emotions are secondary. 
but that's the general <laughs> setup. They they all live in exclamation uh, USA, exclamation, right. and uh, that's the town that they live in. They all they go, go to, to the Clone same high, school. high School. Yes, uh, which is the principal for it is uh, Cinnamon J. Scudworth, uh, who is this sort of megalomaniac, you know, mad scientist type who who talks like this all the time. And he's played by Phil Lord, actually, though. Oh, right, yeah. And then he's got his uh, sidekick, uh, Mr. Butlertron, uh, who is kind of a parody of Mr. Belvedere. Uh, Mr. Butlertron always calls people Wesley. Right, which apparently is a Mr. Belvedere reference that you don't really have to understand for it to be funny. But a- as I was rewatching it, I also realized Mr. Butlertron is very much the Mr. Feeney uh, character yeah. because when the mustache he, helps too, right? It does. It, but he is the the young teenagers have problems, emotional issues. Mr. Butlertron despite him being a robot, usually has the best advice, is the most emotionally in tune and responsible uh, person that there is uh, in this high school. Mm -hmm. And so they are overseeing the, the school of historical figures. The main ones though, we've, I arguably our protagonist is Abe, Abe Lincoln, uh, who is sort of the, the sheepish, uh, not nerd, because he he, no, no. he does it's... have friends, but he he's naive, he's shy, he's he's the quote unquote nice guy. The caricature also... for me is the sad white boy from the suburbs, like, <laughs> who's like, "Woe is me, I'm in love, but the girl I love doesn't love me back, and I'm gonna keep fighting for her, and I'm gonna just put my emotions onto everybody and make them their problem too." Yeah, uh, I've been I've been rewatching Sex in the City. He very much reminds me of the kind of friend that Carrie Bradshaw is, you know, just very self-centered. I yeah, okay. okay. I think I think Carrie Bradshaw is a decent human being, but man, is she a terrible friend? And that's how I feel about Abe. Yeah, uh, the the woman that he's pining over. Oh, so he's he's voiced by Will Forte too, very early in Will Forte, which Will I Forte's believe, career. Yeah, at this point he would have been at the Groundlings, but also he was. Probably a writer on that '70s show at this point. Yeah, I think and so. I, know, I think but, it was pre. Was it pre SNL? I don't. Yeah, know. Yeah, it was. But then also, okay. he was a writer on on Letterman as well. Gotcha. Which I think is what really launched his career. Mm-hmm. And then, so he's pining after Cleopatra, who is voiced by Krista Miller, uh, who is uh, best known for you know she played Jordan on Scrubs. Uh, Doctor Cox's also- wife. Yes, she was in Cougar Town, uh, married to Bill Lawrence. Uh, amazingly, oh, and she was on Spin City too, she's, wasn't she? She's not married to Bill Lawrence. She's married to Christopher Miller. No, she's not. She's married what? to Bill Lawrence. Just what? because her name's Krista Miller doesn't mean she's married to Christopher Miller. I thought it. Oh my <laughs> no. god! No. Oh my god! This is blowing my mind. Ian is swiveling in his chair aggressively <sighs> at this news. I just that. I, you know, you think you know somebody and then yeah. you get a curveball like this. What can you, what can you do? But, uh, so she voices Cleopatra, who's the, the popular girl, the, the seductress, uh, the, yes. uh, 
you know, the the aspiration for everyone in the Regina George of uh, of Clone High. Yeah, Cleopatra was the most beautiful woman in history, and she lets you know that over and over Constantly. again. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the beginning of the show, she is dating uh, JFK, who's voiced by not Krista Miller's wife or husband, uh, Chris Miller. Uh, and JFK is the ultimate epitome of the dumb jock, uh, but he still's got that accent, and he's got the, you know, the what is it? Boston? Yeah, Massachusetts is. Yes, John, it's Boston and Massachusetts. <laughs> Come on. nothing bad ever happens to the Kennedys (laughs) Uh, I do want to say really quick about JFK so JFK recently has become a Gen Z icon because when clone the clone high reboot was announced in 2020 I think uh, for whatever reason Gen Z just saw this character that they really uh, glommed on to as this just funny, ridiculous uh, character. There's an interesting article on Insider about it, actually. But uh, I just wanted to bring up that the Clone High's JFK TikTok has 124,000 followers. Dang. And 3.4 million likes. Wow. And that's only that one because... It became a trend on TikTok for a while to just do JFK quotes or uh, and repurpose them. Or there's a a song uh, in one of the songs he sings, uh, "Sign my cast for me." What is it? It's it's like a parody of "See me, feel me, touch me," <laughs> but it it's uh, oh. Watch me, hold me, sign my cast for me, wheel me. And <laughs> Gen Z just like use that sound clip and repurpose it for like these, you know, ironic, dramatic moments in their life. And uh, of course, I'll just share my favorite quote of his right now. It's foa, supper, oh yeah, wanna party platter. All right, that's JFK. <laughs> uh, and we've also got Gandhi. Uh, voiced by Michael McDonald of Mad TV fame. Also, I mean, I know it's only a cameo, but the scene where he gets crushed in Austin Powers by the slow-moving, not bulldozer, what is that? It's a steamroller. By a slow-moving steamroller, and he just holds his arm out and yells stop and screams for a solid minute while Mike Myers slowly tells him to get out of the way. And uh, I mean, that is so funny to me. That is like iconic. Yeah, he is a great physical comedian and he brings a lot of energy to Gandhi, who is the sort of, I mean, for lack of a better term, he's the nerdy sidekick who is just always trying to get the girls, uh, but he's he's a spaz, he's a party animal. And think, he's all I think nerdy, it's not it's more like geeky. And I geeky, have a you're right. That's distinction fair. for this. Now everyone doesn't share this, but there's a line in The Simpsons where Milhouse says, I'm not a nerd, nerds are smart. And that is the distinction between nerd and geek to me. That's because Gandhi is not That's smart in the show. He is like I mean, there's a whole episode about him having ADD, which we'll get into, but he's hyperactive, kind of 
sex crazed kind of just a weirdo and uh it's very fun bouncing off the walls character yes and then of the main principles uh we we wrap it up with uh, Joan of Arc which i think is fitting because Joan of Arc as a character is constantly you know second fiddle uh and she is in that position she is the sort of goth character uh you know rocks her is it is it pink or purple hair i i'm you know there was a line where abe says i'm looking for a red-headed girl and she perks up but i i swear it's a purple hair uh okay she's she has i don't know her hair is dyed pinkish or purple and then it's also hanging over one of her eyes she wears all black yeah people who aren't colorblind don't at me and i'm just i am I'm not good with hues, okay? I don't know. Like, Natalie says stuff like lavender, and I'm like, that could be anything to me. Like, don't ask me what chartreuse is, because I don't know. We're boys. We like boy things like football and whiskey. We don't do lavender. Unfortunately, that's true, but... uh... (laughs) Um, So, Joan is, you know, she's very cynical, uh, but she is constantly pining for the uh, affection nay just attention of abe right and they're they're best friends but she's hung up on him constantly throwing herself you know at him and you know in the way that high schoolers do you know could you be interested and he will constantly dismiss her she Uh, throws out a lot of hints that he does not take a lot of hints uh a lot of hints. Uh, she's voiced by Nicole Sullivan, also from Mad TV uh, fame. She, yeah, great voice actress. Yeah, and, I mean, uh, I can only think of her also. Like, she does some voices in Family Guy sometimes and stuff. But obviously, she's in other things. But that's I, Mad TV is what I really associate her with, for sure. And we we've got probably at least a dozen other characters of historical figures that pop up. Do you have any, any like one highlight before we move on to the episodes? Um, yeah. I mean, there's uh like Julius Caesar is funny and he's voiced by, um, the janitor from scrubs, Neil Flynn, Neil Flynn. And, uh, you know, I, I, I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of just funny, who, who do you have as a highlight? I just think the idea of the Marie Curie character is one of the That's funny. Cleverest. I was going to bring that up too. It's just one of the cleverest uses of the premise. So, you know, they're, the idea is that they've cloned historical figures. But because Marie Curie's DNA has been so warped by all the nuclear waste that she's dealt with, she is, her clone is a little bit more, you know, just, she has more physical abnormalities. Mm-hmm. And... But she's the sweetest character, and I anytime that she comes onto the screen, I light up because she is so earnest, and she has a huge crush on Gandhi, too. And I think just as a character, Marie Curie is that sort of like bubbliness that is often weighed down by the the angst that comes with the the satire of the show. But she just she just lifts it up. She's a, she's a nice fizzy drink. Yeah, and I love that she's on Gandhi's dance troupe with him. Yeah, uh, it just gives a nice flavor to her character. And I guess I would shout out. Uh, oh my God, uh, 
it was Van Gogh that cut off his ear, right? Yes. I, he really is only in the first episode, but he's very funny. He's he is very funny. Voiced by Andy Dick does voice various voices in the show. And obviously Andy Dick is a controversial figure, but he does do a pretty good job in the show. Uh, one more shout out to, I'll just throw out uh, Peeny, the genetically modified peanut that is the best friend of George Washington Carver. Oh, we'll get into genetic modifications right after this quick commercial break. And now a word from our sponsors. Hi, this is Ian, and I'm trying to do this commercial as quickly as possible. Please review and rate us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Hive Social at One and Done TV. Email us oneanddonepod at gmail.com with any suggestions or thoughts. If you haven't hit the skip forward 15 seconds button yet, I will be amazed. Okay, enjoy the show. Let's get into the episode. So the show starts with an episode, uh, Escape to Beer Mountain, A Rope of Sand. First of all, the, this is maybe the long, these are like the longest episode titles yes. consistently of any show that I've ever seen. I think that's a really good point. Yeah, they they like to have fun with them. Yeah. So the show, it throws you into the premise pretty quickly because, you know, you just have the quick setup of the very catchy uh, theme song. And, uh, you know, JFK is throwing a party at his house. Abe has volunteered to buy the beer. Despite not uh, knowing how he's going to get the beer. Yeah. And Joan is trying to uh, get, uh, He's she's trying to win over Abe because uh, he says that he makes some reference to how she wants, he wants a woman who like cares about other people. And so she starts a teen crisis hotline that uh, Gandhi is also a part of, but Gandhi quickly throws away his uh, responsibilities so he can go to the party. He forwards the teen crisis hotline to his cell phone and then takes all the cars calls at the party while he's like drinking the beer. The beer is not alcoholic, but that's a later plot point. Cleo and Abe also form a connection shortly after she breaks up with uh, JFK and they make out. And Joan sees it. Her heart is broken. And oh, this is what I was going to say. Abe has a line about she's like, what do you see in Cleo anyway? He goes, she's hot. She's good looking. She really cares about uh, her appearance. She's smart. She, you know, and then calls her hot a couple times. And then he goes, what I'm really trying to say is I I really appreciate her dedication to public service. (laughs) That's it. So Joan runs with that, uh, but a lot of heartbreak. Uh, and the Cleo Abe kiss is something that sort of sets off their arc for the rest of the show that continue, even though they don't get together after that, which goes into episode two, which is called episode two, Election Blue I want to share a little, um, just a little tidbit about episode one really quick too, is that it's just the most classic teenage late 90s, early 2000s storyline you can think of, really. Like, Freaks and Geeks has an episode like this. It's basically the whole plot of Superbad, if you think about it. Yeah. It's like, I, I'm i a nerd. I'm not invited to this party. I'm only invited to the party because I said I would bring the beer. I don't know how I'm going to get the beer. So then they end up getting non-alcoholic beer. Um, it is important to note that Every single episode of Clone High is dubbed a very special episode. 
So each one tackles some sort of issue in some way or another. And there's always there's a lesson to be learned. Always it's classic fables and foibles. Am I right? Nice. Thank you. And it starts with, you know, previously on Clone High and next time on Clone High. So they really milk the the uh the runtime to fill in uh the previews and stuff. But I was thinking that too. I'm like, it's a minute long uh theme song and then they do the previously on and the next time on and i'm like that covers a solid three to four minutes absolutely um so episode two election blue glue this is the uh school election episode jfk is uh running and abe wants to uh you know beat jfk to get cleo's attention but and he doesn't have the personality to it to do it, so he employs uh, the sponsor Extreme Blue, which is an energy drink. But... Which is really just pancake batter and blue house paint. <laughs> a tasty treat for all. And Gandhi uh, becomes addicted uh, to the, the product. And he becomes uh, very heavy and very blue from drinking it. And it kind of turns into, it's an episode that's about, you know, a school election, but it's also about nutrition. And it features Marilyn Manson singing a song about the food pyramid and how important it is to treat your body right with good nutrients. And uh, it's very funny. It is great. Uh, the third episode is the one that stands out the most for me, just because I think it's the episode I watched the most at your house and nowhere else, uh, was the ADD, the last D is for disorder. Absolutely. Uh, Gandhi is uh, diagnosed with attention deficit disorder. And ADHD, it's hyperactive cousin. Oh, Wesley, you have ADD. That's not going to sync up well. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> and uh so he's basically treated like a leper uh nobody wants to touch him nobody wants to be around him uh because they don't want to catch add uh and then at you the, get the it from beast. toilet seats where the protective sheets <laughs> of course and uh joan in the b story which may be one of my favorite b stories of the show uh joan starts to finally hear the visions that uh you know her original heard uh hearing from god but it turns out that uh, she's just accident. Her retainer is uh, tuning into the frequency of a uh, local. Is it is it a car dealership? It's a radio station, but their slogan is "It's in the mix." So she it's keeps talking, keeps saying it's in the mix. And I love yes. that storyline too because it's one of Joan of Arc's only storylines that has nothing to do with Abe. Yeah, she actually has some agency. Which right. Is, exactly. Yeah, I mean. Yeah, the Joan pining over Abe thing is, you know, you're not supposed to buy that Abe is going to completely ignore her for the the whole thing. And it's it's definitely played up a lot, but it, it does. It's one of the things I think throughout the show that does get a little bit more exhausting. It is because Joan only pines over Abe or fights with Cleo over Abe. And yeah. Yeah, so this storyline is one of the only the only one I can think of that deviates from that for her. And then, so then we go back to uh, Joan pining over Abe uh, in the film fest uh, Tears of a Clone episode. So 
uh, Abe runs a film festival and uh, asks every student to submit. Uh, everyone does their own thing. Uh, Joan does an avant-garde uh, exploration of uh, her uh, her affections for Abe. Abe does a story about a giraffe who plays football that's apparently very personal. That's right. Uh, Gandhi and George Washington Carver uh, make, make a, a buddy mix- comedy. Oh my God, it's so funny. It's called Black and Tan. Yes. Uh, and then... And then JFK doesn't make a movie because he's too busy on the casting couch. Oh, God, that's right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, uh, what a maybe one of the best one line uh, cameos, I think, is after uh, Joan screens her movie and Sigmund Freud is just bouncing off the walls because everyone's really confused by what it is. And Sigmund Freud says, You like Abe. You like Abe. <laughs> but everyone else just didn't know what to make of it. it um, fantastic. I think we should, let's skip a little bit more to like the middle. Let's get to like where Joan's house burns down. Yeah, sure. So, um, yeah, there's a few other things in there. Sleep awareness. There's a homecoming episode. Um, right. And then, oh, the sleep awareness one is so funny, though. It's an episode about the importance of sleeping and how you could die if you don't sleep. And, you know, the the lesson at the end of it is Abe just needs to pull over in his car. It's like, don't drive tired is the whole <laughs> thing, which I mean, that is like a, a reasonable thing to be. But they just really play it up uh, to the nth degree. And uh it's a very fun episode. That's one of the more ridiculous, like, lessons that they just drive really hard throughout the whole episode to me. I love it. Yeah. And, I mean, we'll get to the, well, if we're going to jump to the middle of the season, we could talk about the raisin drug-induced uh, rock opera. Oh, nice. Don't Smoke That's Raisins, a, featuring don't Jack smoke Black. Raisins. An important lesson. It becomes essentially Tommy. Uh, the Who's Tommy. Oh, it does? Uh, I didn't even know that. Yeah. I mean, have you seen Tommy? No, that's that's why I'm saying that. <laughs> well, there you go. It's a it's like a it's like a combination of Pink Floyd's The Wall and the Who's Tommy, mm. I would say. That you know, that see me, heal hear me, feel me, touch me. Oh that's, yeah, of that's course. That's from Tommy. And um, then also Gandhi gets like really high off the raisins and goes on an adventure to with like some weird pixie uh flying unicorn that promises it will thrice lay him if <laughs> he completes his adventure it's it's always important to make sure that i will know, thrice we're talking, lay you <laughs> we're talking to the manifestations in our brain yeah that's the key lesson of course there um but there's a you know Joan uh, joins the basketball team, uh, but uh, by donning a mustache and calling herself John Dark. That's right. Um, then there's, uh, you know, then around the middle of the season, Abe and Cleo actually get together finally. And so they are boyfriend and girlfriend, which then ramps up into uh, Joan's house burning down, which, you know, it's a great. That episode to- starts with everybody going, there's a storm brewing. There's a flood. There's a flood. Well, good thing that this house is flood proof. And then the house burns, burns down. down. Oh, <laughs> so good. 
And so Cleo and Joan end up moving in together. And with uh, with Joan's, uh, you know, father figure, Toots. That's right. Just, Played just by Donald name. Faison, who's a yeah. blind, you know, jazz musician. Um, and also, actually, this is important for Abe because throughout the whole series, it's uh, the only real stakes in the show are when they are sort of trying to live up to their real life counterparts. Like what would Joan of Arc do? What would the real Abe Lincoln do? And in this episode, Abe is working on his conflict resolutions. So he's just trying to see how he can, you know, bridge the gap between uh, Jane and Joan and Cleo, but also, I mean, uh, there are funny things that happen along the way. Yeah. And I do want to talk about that in a little bit. Uh, as well later on but you know we've got okay this is the episode that i think is the most insane lesson which is don't litter because absolutely literally which is where there's ponce de leon uh who is essentially a fonzie character and who's uh, he played by yeah luke perry that's right luke perry and uh everyone wants to litter everywhere because it's the cool thing to do but then ponce ponce uh, literally dies in a swirl of uh, cuts and uh, suffocation and head wounds. So what happens? A, a bag flies over his head and suffocates him. A straw from a juice box stabs him in the throat. Um, earlier, him and JFK are because littering's cool. Mm-hmm. They're eating all these individually wrapped caramels walking down the street and throwing them on the ground. And all those individually wrapped caramels wrappers come to give him like a thousand paper cuts, essentially. Uh, it It's even crazier than that. There's more than that, but I can't. Yeah. He it's, drowns it's in his old, own blood in the bag while he's suffocating. He does. That's what kills him. Litter kills. Literally. Oh, and then the ironic part of the end of that episode is that his dad is the janitor and everyone starts to not litter. And then uh, Ponce's janitor dad is fired. fired at the end because they don't need him anymore. Uh, it's amazing. Uh, then we got the the, the holiday f- episode Snowflake, Snowflake Day. Snowflake Day. The, because yeah. the UN abolished all religious holidays and created one giant generic snowflake day for everybody to celebrate together uh, it's a beautiful celebration yeah commercialism yes exactly and i love uh the what the lesson in in there is that abe should have bought cleo an expensive gift instead of making <laughs> her something from the heart um, uh-huh. and uh then we get into the the final uh stretch which is the prom episodes um so there's the makeover episode which is also called Makeover, 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 the Makeover episode. Abe is making over Joan. Cleo makes over Joan. Toots JFK. makes over Joan as well. Toots makes over Joan. Uh, JFK makes over Gandhi, which is the... Foa supper. Oh, yeah, I want... And he goes, for supper, I want a party platter. And he's like, no, 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 no. Slow it down. Throw some R's and R's in there. <laughs> and uh, it's a great, you know, My Fair Lady uh Mm -hmm. thing too uh and then we get to the big prom episode which everything goes straight to hell uh in the final episode Mm -hmm. of the show uh what 
Joan is, you know, Abe still picks Cleo uh, to go to prom with him. But then he realizes that Joan has always been into him. But uh, Joan has uh, actually hooked up with JFK at that point. Mm-hmm. And um, the overseers of this entire experiment, which is the secret board of shadowy figures uh, who kind of pop in and out, uh, they are like, well, this is the time that we're going to get all the clones and uh, like kill them, right? You know what? That- I can't remember what their plan is now that I think about I it. But know. throughout the series, the whole thing is they have their own shadowy reasons for developing these clones into like super soldiers or something like that and um but principal scudworth keeps obviously showing them that he has his own nefarious plans for them like starting an amusement park filled with them and uh they keep finding like his books of plans around or a vhs of his plans and they keep not firing him until this comes to a head at the end where, well, also he's feuding with John Stamos, which is a funny arc, but mm-hmm. uh, then they're going to take the clones away from him. But Scudworth somehow met the prom takes place in a giant meat locker. Mm-hmm. And it's a, it's a classic theme. Yeah. A classic theme of like being at a, uh, the prom at a slaughterhouse basically <laughs> and, or a butcher shop or something. And it's a slaughterhouse. Gudworth yeah. ends up getting everyone in the meat locker and freezing everybody in there, including the shadowy government figures, so that the clones are not taken away from him and he has control of the situation. And that is how the season and the series ends. Everyone frozen in time. In time. Uh, so that's the that's the show. Every episode's available on Paramount Plus. If you want to watch it for yourself, we'll get into the specifics. But uh, before we talk a little bit more about the show, we've got some Dunzos to give out. So we'll go to a break and uh, we'll be back with those fine awards. And now a word from our sponsors. It's time for the Dunzos. The Dunzos are awards that we are going to be giving out to every single show that we watch. It could be the best. It could be the worst. It could be the slightest. It could be the weirdest. It could be the craziest. Uh, Whatever it is, we are going to bestow uh, our treasures upon. These are the superlatives that we decided to highlight. We each have two. And, you know, this is just what we want to highlight about the show, what we think is important or insane or bad. So, John, why don't you give us uh, your first Dunzo? Uh, I'd love to hear it. Okay. So my first Dunzo is it's actually a runner up. Wow. And I'll get to that in a second. This is a runner up for best forgotten early millennium pop group. Wow. And... That Dunzo goes to O Town. Wow! And who yeah. um who is it? That's there's an episode with what's his face from O Town in it. Ashley Angel from O Town, and they have to yes. keep saying Ashley Angel from O Town from O Town. Yes. So that's an episode that uh, uh, Cleo goes on spring break, uh, and Abe is watching spring break her in on Canada. Break in Canada, and he's watching her on 
on the on the spring break uh, and is super jealous of how close she is to Ashley Angel from O Town. Yeah, and Ashley Angel from O Town is uh, you know generally a nice guy, but is definitely he's he's feeling out uh, Cleo. And I think it's important that we all remember O Town as a band, but it is a runner up. Do you know what the what my winner of the best forgotten early millennium pop group would be? Any guess? Uh, oh my forgotten. gosh. Uh, forgotten. Oh, I think I you were obsessed with this show, right? Yes, I was. I don't remember the name of it. You say it. It's S Club 7, baby. Oh my god. S Club 7. Ain't no party like an S Club party cuz an S Club party don't stop. Is that what that's that's not what that's from? No, it's just, not. Okay. <laughs> no, no, it's not. And what it, what was S Club again? It was like a mixed boys and girls. Yeah. Pop group. Band. Yeah, they had a they had a show on ABC Family, or ABC whatever it Family. Was at that. It might have been Fox Family at that point. I don't know. It might have been Fox Family at that point. Yeah, uh, pre Freeform, uh, but they would be my number one. Wait, but wait, O-Town wait. That's would... Freeform now. That's what Freeform yeah. is now. That's what Freeform is. Oh yeah. my god, God, you need I, to give it the time. I haven't had cable for <laughs> six years at least. So I, I neither have I. That doesn't mean that I don't know what Freeform is. You're right. Everybody knows but me. I'm so out of the loop. All right, what's your first Dunzo? My first Dunzo goes to best celebrity supporting character. So let's like this show, pretty much every episode has a guest actor that is either a musician, singer, or MTV personality on it. You know, we've mm-hmm. got Jack Black, we've got Mandy Moore. We've got the Tom Green is in the ADD episode, obviously, because he clearly has ADD, ADD. and they really play that up. Um, we've got oh gosh, who else? Shows while you're up still thinking end? of while you're still thinking of that, can I say what I would give for this award? Um, okay, I mean it might undercut my award that I'm gonna give then out. Then never mind. Then never mind. Yeah, I'm gonna say you're mine. Right. Then you're you right. do it. Okay, this is my yeah. Dunzo to shine, and then you sure. interject with your opinion. <laughs> But unfortunately, the best celebrity supporting character in the show is Marilyn Manson to me. I Ooh. mean, right. I don't. Obviously, it's not good knowing what we know now. Although, like, come on. If you didn't know he was like a creep to begin with, who who are you kidding? But um, he shows up and is apparently a nutrition expert and talks very eloquently about diet Terry needs and food and the food pyramid at the time, which boy, that's that's changed a lot since too. But uh and then he sings a very funny song, and it's what I think is so funny about it is how straight it's all played. It's nothing he doesn't say anything funny until the very end of the song, and it just tickles me, that whole cameo. And also I apologize. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so we know that Ian is a Marilyn Manson defender. Hey, hey, no. hey, hey. That's that's what we're getting from this. No, we'll, do not we'll say get that. it trending. Do not we'll say that on trending. Like, nobody hashtag <laughs> Ian Hamilton is a Marilyn Manson defender. Nobody. Tra- Absolutely nobody. Yeah. Mine would be Mandy Moore because I'm not a monster. Well, because she plays a possibly homeless Mandy Moore who keeps stealing stuff from people on Snowflake Day. Mm-hmm. It's very funny. It is a good it's cameo. Great. Yeah, apparently not as good as your best friend Marilyn Manson. Hey, 
<laughs> you give out your Dunzo and you stop talking about that. My next, my second Dunzo will be for the catchiest four words. Wow. And I was sure and you, know you were going to do best fake song, and that's why I didn't do that. Oh, well, it's similar to that. Okay. Because it would be my catchiest four words are G-Spot rocks the G-Spot. Wow. Okay, that is it. Thank you. So Gandhi, in the, in the same Spring Break episode, uh, he comes up with a song that is literally just him saying, G-Spot rocks the G-Spot. G-Spot rocks the G-Spot. And it becomes a mega hit. He has a G-shaped pool that he's yeah. built. And like JFK is his producer, I guess. So they're both making it rich off that. Yeah. And the music in this show is really exceptional, mm-hmm. I think. Um, you know, we've got, we talked about the rock opera, uh, which honestly is some of the more forgettable music, honestly, but to me at least. But we also the makeover episode, the the theme that runs through that. Makeover, 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 makeover. Uh, but also, I mean, I think there's an original song in every episode, but sometimes it's sang by the characters and other times it's just the music that's happening in the background. They have a really yeah. good, and actually one of my favorite ones was a Buffalo Springfield parody. Um that was like uh it was the one where Abe was doing the conflict resolutions and uh it was like, you know, instead of being like, there's something happened in here, uh it was oh damn, I will find that quote and I will come back to it. But well they, the and the theme song of the show is just exceptional too from mm-hmm. the band uh, Abandoned Pools. Um it is I mean, your wife was texting me last night about how you two have been singing the theme song to each other. Oh, absolutely. And I was surprised by how many episodes have the full theme song, too, not just the shortened one. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. There are some with the shortened one? Uh, Yeah, there's some of them that are shorter. And some of them are... No, but like it goes beyond the... uh, time to laugh and shiver and cry it's like i don't know there's there's more lyrics there okay all right what's your final dunzo my final dunzo is best abomination of science (laughs) and of course so this is a show that features a lot of genetic modifications and uh there is like george washington carver has a talking peanut that he keeps in his pocket all the time there is Peeny. a number four that runs around that thinks it's a number five. There is a, oh, there's a couple can other I, ones. What, what do you yeah, have one? Can I guess what yours, can I guess what yours is? Yes. Geshi. Which one's Geshi again? Geshi is the uh, genetically engineered uh, superhuman high, rival high school's mascot. Oh my God. That's right. It's the mascot, but it's. Like this weird. But it's a real thing. That's right. And it uh, and it runs around. And it goes right. And don't they like rip <laughs> out its tongue at the end or something? And they're like, "Oh my god!" They unzip it uh, because they think that somebody's in there, but its guts just pour out. And they're like, "Oh my god, it's real!" And then when they set it free, they're like, "Geshi just walks around and goes, Geshi treat," and then just rips the skin off of anything that it comes in contact with. Oh my god! It is. 
It's beautiful. Uh, Sorry, I, I didn't mean to undercut it. I thought you were. No, no, I'm really your... happy you. That is like a great example of the abomination of science category. But mine is, uh, I think, almost as ridiculous. It's the talking horse fetus that is used as a prom invitation gimmick. Because they have these very elaborate prom invites. Like somebody invites Marie Antoinette by coming down on a helicopter and then he cuts her head off. And then he goes over to the next person who I didn't even catch her name, but presumably she also gets her head cut off historically. Um, And so there's very elaborate prom proposals. It was Anne Boleyn, I believe. Who is that? Uh, Henry VIII's uh, second wife. Oh, okay. That makes sense. Um, and so this is a promposal in which Nostradamus pops out of hor- a horse's guts. So a horse runs up. I guess it's like a Trojan horse almost, but it's a real horse. And he pops out of its guts holding a horse fetus that's still covered in placenta. (laughs) And the horse fetus asks, I think Helen of Troy, if it'll go to prom, if she'll go to prom with him. (laughs) And it is so shocking and insane that I had to give it a dunzo. No, that is a, that is a very well-earned dunzo for the horse fetus. Uh, and it will be shipped to the horse fetus uh, in the grave that it is, the shallow grave that it is certainly buried. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, this is a, this leads into a question I wanted to ask you. Mm-hmm. Do you think this show would have worked as a live action? Uh, no, I don't, because... Do you think there's a, not like, not in its current state, but just the, if there was a, do you think there's, there is a version of this show that could work as a live action like maybe but i i think what you're bringing to mind for me is it's like what are the highlights of this show some of the best things about it are um like a lot of the show is about their physical bodies because they're teenagers going through changes and just the way everything is drawn is such a specific style every you know like jfk's butt is you know, very prominent and it's just so important to his character. You know, I mean, I don't know how you do a live action version of Marie Curie's mutated DNA that's been cloned, like without making it a very, you know, obscene or offensive. I mean, like, cause the way they have her in the show, her pupils have different shapes, you know? Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't know how you pull off a lot of the stuff that they do in here if it is live action. Yeah, I think the the thing that makes the show stand out is the the satire is good, the irreverence is gold, I think. The the playfulness and like the animation and in everything that happens during the show is infectious and just like lifts you up mm-hmm. in a way that I think would certainly I think a live action version of the show would be more bogged down in like the satire of it mm-hmm. drama of it yeah uh which I think could work but it wouldn't be this sort of hyperkinetic but still crudely constructed 
mishmash of things that it is. I mean, overall, it's it's very crude overall. You know, I mean, people, you can't do Ponzi's death uh, that way. You know, in a live action form without it being gruesome. I mean, it wouldn't be funny. It was gruesome animated. It was gruesome (laughs) animated. It was funny, but. You know, you translate that to live. I mean, JFK flipping his car after saying nothing bad ever happens to the Kennedys, you know, during a race like that would not be funny live action. You know, it would just there's just too much going on here that lends itself to it being a cartoon. That it's just a great it's a great cartoon. It's a great cartoon and it's great at yes anding. I think I think the way that the episodes progress and build within themselves, like I think of the episode where Joan and Cleo are fighting mm-hmm. over and they're living in the room. So it starts with the two of them, you know, doing like an odd couple um, paint down the middle of the room sort of thing. Uh then it turns into this sort of like swinging from the ceilings, you know, beat him up. Uh, Abe tries to intervene. He literally gets blown out of the window by an explosive. Uh, then they start to like rip each other's clothes off. Yes. Gandhi and JFK are watching from the thing. And then it turns into Benny Hill. Right. Where they're doing the music and they're running around. Well, the thing. Okay, me and Natalie talked a lot about this Benny Hill music because I was like, I don't think they could afford the actual Benny Hill music because there's one horn at the end that went down instead of up. And I was like, I don't think it's the actual music. And Natalie thought it was. And we actually did a fairly decent amount of extended research on this including like i paused it and looked at who the music was attributed to and <laughs> i couldn't find any connection to the actual yakety sax so i think they did their own version of it and actually this leads me to a fun little note is i saw that richard cheese was attributed to doing some of the music in that episode really you know who richard cheese is it sounds familiar he does the uh famous like Frank Sinatra crooning version of get down with the sickness. That's at the beginning of the new. D- <gasps> he's Dawn in Barb and Star, right? He's in Barb and Star. Oh, is he? Yes. Yes. Yeah. So he's, I love boobies. I love gazongos. I love knockers. Right. Jimmy so he does these crooning joke songs or these, you know, very classic styles of intense songs. Richard cheese, dude. I was very happily surprised to see him that's that amazing. he did some of the music. Yeah. That's Oh, that is right. Great. Good. Good little yes, tidbit. That, good find. Thank good you. Find. The, so the, the episode ends in a pie fight and that to oh me is the perfect, just ramp up of, you know what? We're just going to throw every single thing that we have at this. And it feels so jubilant and collaborative and crazy and just eccentric in the best possible way. And that's, I think, where the show shines. Well, also talk about something you couldn't do live action 
and make it funny, I think, is that it's a pie fight, but it's all kinds of pie. And Gandhi throws a chicken pot pie at Scudworth's face. And if you've ever had a chicken pot pie, you know it is scalding lava hot on the inside (laughs) every single time. And it just burns Scudworth's face so badly. And I just thought that was such a good pie joke. Yeah. It is there's there's a lot of good pie humor that we've uh put into this episode as well as that has been put into Clone Eye. That's right. Let's just call it intentional. Oh let's do it. Oh, the Buffalo Springfield lyrics I was trying to think of earlier. <laughs> it's not even that good. It was just it goes, everybody's incorrect, yet no one's correct, which is just a good <laughs> parody of that to me. You know, it's uh good parody of the line that we all draw in our political and emotional states what am i trying keep to going. say no no i want you to keep going <laughs> i don't I, it just let's just end that so much in tears. to say about our divisive feelings uh, that we have oh, in today's culture is becoming. and in the 60s and there's a lot of parallels <laughs> ian is currently ripping his clothes off in sadness he doesn't feel comfortable in his own throw a chicken pot pie at my face i deserve it i deserve it give me about two hours to figure it out and then i'll have to I'll ship, ship it down it to here. austin <laughs> And I'll convince your wife to pelt you. Though I did I think do one it. time. Yeah, I did text Natalie one time. Can you slap your husband for me? And she did. Oh, yeah. That was good. And she filmed it. That was nice. Thanks, Nat. Yeah, thanks, Nat. <laughs> so when it comes to the way that the the teenagers, the characters are mm-hmm. reflections of their historical counterparts. Yes. I'm so glad that the show touched on it, but didn't get bogged down in it. They, they used it as a great jumping off point for like one-off gags, like the decapitations or, you know, Abe dealing with his conflict. Resolution. Oh my gosh. Joan. The funniest one to me is the grassy knoll diner that they all go to. Yes. That is, it's like that Bojack Horseman joke where it's, wow, I'm so nostalgic for the 80s when we were nostalgic for the 50s uh, that I love so much. And so Abe is running for student council president and, or maybe he's thinking about it at this point. And at the grassy knoll diner, which at the top of it, it the, the flag in front of it is at half mast. The top of it shows a slumped <laughs> over JFK in his car. It's so messed up. And then Joan and Abe are sitting at a table that is right next to a v- gruesomely painted portrait, or not portrait, I guess painting, portrait, of yeah. Abe Lincoln getting shot in the back of the head the moment the bullet is coming out his forehead and there's blood coming out and Abe is just reflecting on his current state. He's going, I don't, I want to run for student council president, but I just don't know what's holding me back. (laughs) The, I like that the characters have an awareness of who they are 
or who their counterparts are, but yeah, they, they, they are constantly struggling with like, am I going to be, am I going to live up to this legacy? Am I going to, uh, forge my own path? And I think it's both. And I think that they both work well, but also, so it's like the merging of the historical characters with the teen drama Dawson's Creek type stereotypes that they are. And I think it's really interesting that they chose like JFK is the jock. Cleopatra is the hot girl. So that those like make sense. Right. But then I feel like they kind of break off your expectations by having Abe Lincoln be the sad white boy from the suburbs. Joan of Arc being the goth, unless I don't know enough about Joan of Arc, but it doesn't really seem right to me. Unless maybe what's Joan of Arc's last name? Arc. Mm-hmm. Is it? No, I don't know. Oh, okay. I thought you. <laughs> I should. Thought you were gonna lay some truth on me there. Um, no, I did see a musical about Joan of Arc, though. Oh, that's right. That and the whole chorus was, was men. Yeah. That sounded very interesting because it's her it a, voice among all these men. Yeah. The. Yeah. The the portrayal of. Joan of Arc in that show is non-binary, but oh really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, interesting. I guess I thought. Uh, well, yeah, I I could see it, but that's like that's why the chorus is so manly, at least. Yes. That, and you went while you and your dad went while I lived in New York, and we had lunch with your dad's friend who was in it, and nobody mm-hmm. invited me, so I didn't get to see it. To the show, but you got invited to the lunch. Yeah. I wanted to see the show though. It sounded interesting. Well then buy a buy a ticket. Should have bought it. Nobody told me. Missed opportunities, bud. Missed opportunities. Yeah. Um, um but and then Gandhi also, it's like he doesn't he specifically does not fit his real life counterpart. Whereas a lot of the clones in the high school, like George Washington Carver's still doing experiments. Uh Peanut Boy. Right. Uh Freud is clearly still interested in sexual psychology uh and uh paul revere's a total gossip <laughs> true true you know van van gogh cuts off his ear and is uh you know sad weirdo and uh so everyone else kind of fits their mold uh genghis khan wears a t-shirt that says screw tibet uh, but you know, those three characters actually kind of break the mold, which now that I think about it is kind of interesting. Although I don't think there's any proof that Juan Ponce de Leon was a Fonzie type in real life, but whatever. I don't know. I, I've heard many tales about Ponce de Leon, um, you know, hitting player pianos and making them start back up. It's not a player piano. It's a jukebox. I know. I know. I was trying to age the the jukebox okay. slightly. All right, I see what you're doing. I still there. don't think that they had player pianos. No, yeah, that was even too advanced. <laughs> I think. But we are great with history. Very good try. Very thank very you. Good. Very well done. I made some sort of effort. God help me. Um so yeah. What do you think? Should we get into why this got canceled? I think we will right after we take a quick break. And now, a word from our sponsors.
Welcome back. John, I think that this is a very unique circumstance of a TV show getting canceled. Definitely. Although we can kind of figure that it didn't really fit in with MTV at the time and there probably wasn't the best ratings in the world, this show was canceled because of the controversy surrounding the character Gandhi uh, and his portrayal and the way that many people in India or Indian Americans, I guess, did not like the way that he was portrayed. Um, But this actually, before we get into him specifically, it comes on the heels of a controversy from a February 2003 issue of Maxim. Mm-hmm. Uh, Maxim Magazine. I wasn't sure if it was Maxim Men's Magazine, but so. No, nah, it's just Maxim. So it's this. I couldn't even find the actual article, only people talking about it and the image from it. But it is a tongue in cheek men's fitness routine that involves basically, you know, buff, tough guys. Uh, working out while they beat up wimpy pacifists. Yeah. And it's very strange. So let me share this image with you, John. So it shows, Uh. yeah, it shows a white American guy in a tank top and shorts. The first image is him like jumping and stomping on Gandhi. The second image is him kneeing Gandhi in the head. And the third image is him picking up Gandhi and throwing th- Gandhi? over his head and throwing him. And Ugh. it really does not look good. And I can't understand at all how it would be. I, I don't know. I mean, it just looks bad. It, it's a bad look. I don't. Yeah, I don't. I don't get it at all. Uh, and then Maxim's, you know, uh, response from it was not even that great. It was like, we apologize if our cartoon depicting Mahatma Gandhi in February 2003 issue of Maxim's, Maxim was interpreted as offensive. An edgy sense of humor laced Ugh. laced with irony has always been a central element of Maxim's editorial. For some people, Ew. this piece may have gone one step too far. We at Maxim do in <laughs> fact believe in Gandhi's teachings of peace. In fact, we chose Gandhi as the subject of our workout cartoon, specifically because he is the least likely target of aggression imaginable. No offense was intended to anyone. And I'm like, I don't even understand. That is the most like, I'm sorry, you don't think this is funny sort of thing, but it's not, there's no satire to it. It's just disgusting. I like. I would say let's post it to our socials, but no, I don't want this stuff getting out there more than it should. Yeah. It's really horrible. And the, stuff. the only actual record I could find of it was from a 2003 article from the Seek Times, which was written by uh, Michael Crowland, um, who is a sophomore, creative and professional writing, double major with minor in religious studies at Carnegie Mellon. Uh, But I believe they're also Indian American. Um, And so this was February, 2003. 
And this mm-hmm. was a big deal and a big controversy. So you could see why uh, any any Indian looking at this and then pivoting and seeing Gandhi as some ADHD sex weirdo voiced by a white person would be an indictment of America's portrayal of who they, I mean, Gandhi was considered a living God to them, to, to many people yeah. there. Uh, so mm-hmm. it's a sensitive subject. Absolutely. Yeah. And so then there was the, the protest that happened outside of MTV. That's right. So this is actually right on the heels of MTV uh, getting offices in India and I mean, I don't know if it was like Mumbai or or the city. I can't uh, think of off the top of my head. But so they had their offices there. The M- the president of MTV was there visiting, and they're trying to get into this billion person market, you know? Yeah. And there was a hundred and fifty person protest staged at the offices when he was there. It was in a hunger strike that they were staging, and it was led by prominent politicians as well as Gandhi's grandson. And so they're there, they're doing this protest, and on top of it, they are threatening to pull the broadcasting rights from MTV based off of their them being offended at this point. Mm-hmm. So you can see why, I mean, from a business standpoint, you can see why they pulled the plug on the show because it was keep doing the show or lose a potential billion person market. So it's a no brainer yeah. if you're the president of MTV. Not to mention, literally, you're coming out of a meeting and there's 150 people staring at you that are probably very angry, very hungry, and, you know, incensed. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, I found this great uh piece written uh in 2017 by um isha iran uh i might be pronouncing that name wrong i apologize uh it was sort of a a look at the this racial legacy of gandhi in on clone high and the author is a sri lankan american and i think and we'll we'll link uh to this article when we published this episode, but the idea of it's a great explanation of where this sort of controversy came from, because like you said, in India, Gandhi is considered an, a God mm-hmm. and there's a, there's a religious connection to him in America. Not to mention Gandhi just in, reverence. I mean, he freed, yeah, for sure. free India from British colonialism through peaceful means. It's like, if Jesus and George Washington were the same person. I mean, almost, you know, articulating it for sure. Yeah. And, but in America, we see Gandhi as a civil rights leader Mm -hmm. and a pacifist. And that's, and we revere, we see him more like MLK as well, but it's not, it's not sacrilegious to, you know, include Gandhi into uh, this sort of, context and the article explains essentially how it's this push and pull especially from like a a sri lankan american where 
so many South Asian uh, portrayals in media were going on stereotypes, you know. It's do the like, voice. Yeah, exactly. Do the voice, you know, Apu, Taj from um, the Van Wilder Playing movies. a cab driver or something. Yeah. And so this portrayal of Gandhi is particularly, you know, idiosyncratic and silly because it doesn't really reflect on because Gandhi's Indianness isn't really a part of the character. In fact, I, I believe his foster in, parents in the show are Jewish. I will take your word for that. I can't remember. But so there's this there's this understanding that yeah, India is pretty justifiably salty about how Gandhi was portrayed. But in the years following Clone High, Gandhi's character depiction didn't really break open the door for, you know, meaningful representations of South Asian people in pop culture. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're still working towards that, you know, 20 years after the show aired. And I mean, when was so, the when was the thing about Apu documentary? Oh, the problem with the problem, Apu was that like twenty seventeen? Yeah, that wasn't too long ago, right. and so we're still having that conversation. And so it'd be one thing if Gandhi. So this this portrayal of Gandhi was really one of the first to sort of break through that and just portray. Um, you know, a South Asian Asian character as just, you know, a person and not defined by where they come from. But in the years since then, you know, people are like, well, we saw this stuff that happened with Clone High. Maybe we maybe we shouldn't even touch that because mm. and that is that's a tricky thing to I mean you could have an to... Indian American who acts like that. You just can't have him be Gandhi, I guess. That that would be the idea, right. but you know, when you're looking at what happened uh, to and you know what happened in this the wake of mm -hmm. this controversy, it's tough to greenlight that sort of decision. And there's this really great quote from this article that I want to read verbatim. Um, so this is from the point of view of the author. It's hard not to be stuck on Gandhi because he's a brilliant and hilarious character. This is the Gandhi of the Clone High show but also because technically he was one of the first South Asian characters who completely inadvertently wasn't defined by Indian stereotypes and often subverted them. And oddly enough, the blasphemous characterization of the Indian idol was the exact sacrilegious mix of South Asian and American I had been waiting for. And this idea of this like thirst for representation in some form is, is palpable. Mm -hmm especially at that time. And I, I hope that Gandhi's portrayal in Clone High did just do harm. Um, yeah. And hopefully there were more stories like that uh, besides, you know, this, this protest that sort of defined the legacy of the, of the Did show. you see that um, if there was a season two, they would have either taken Gandhi out altogether or had it revealed that his clone, he was actually a clone of Gary Coleman. That would have been like a big <laughs> I didn't see that. story reveal. But yeah, so, uh, you know, Miller and Lord were trying to figure out a way to just phase it out, but the, the damage had been done and it was over. Yeah, it was. Um, but because of, 
you know, Clone High's cancellation, we got a lot more, you know, we got Cougar Town. Thank God. Thank God. Yeah. Thank God we got Cougar Town. But, you know, Chris Miller and Phil Lord, their careers took off. I mean, their favorite thing they've done is, uh, uh, for me, is Last Man on Earth. I mean, I loved that show. Oh, it lasted right, four yeah. seasons. Uh, I mean, the first season is a little rocky, but because like Will Forte is such a jerk in it. But then yeah. they really smooth out his character by season two. And I just loved it. And I, I never knew it was going to happen. Like as a viewer, I just want to be surprised at this point. You know, I've seen, I've, I've seen everything, uh, you know, and I just, I, that show was just very unique and had a very unique sensibility and it was just such a good way to highlight Will Forte as a, the strange, fantastic performer that he is. Uh, so I mm-hmm. miss that, you know, into the spider verse, obviously they got fired from the Han Solo movie, but Hey, way to try, even though trying to make it funny was probably a bad choice. Um, though I'd still, I'd still put Donald Glover in as uh, Lando either way. Well, they're doing that, I think, right? They're yeah. He, he's getting project. some, some project of his own, but I'm saying even if you went like like action movie or the the weird comedy route that they took, I would still do Donald Glover either way. Ansel Elgort, no, Alden Ehrenreich, way to try. There way it is. To, way to try. You you did the best you could with what you had at the time, and sorry it didn't work out. Um, John, yeah. the real question I guess here is, would you have renewed it? Wholeheartedly. Wholeheartedly. Yes. I don't. I don't think it would have worked on MTV just as a network, but I think the show itself, you know, there's so much to unpack and they did such a great job of building out the world and the sensibility was great. And what would you do about the Gandhi situation? Ooh, I mean, I, yeah, I would, yeah, I'd listen and I'd, I'd probably cut him out. Yeah. I think making him the voice of Gary, the clone of Gary Coleman is pretty funny, but I mean, also these days, he is voiced by a white actor and yeah, they did that. Have you been watching South Park this latest season? They did that with Token. Oh, they changed the voice of Token. No, they didn't change the voice of Token. What they did was they, they retconned it and his character is pronounced Tolkien. Oh my God. As in named after J.R.R. Tolkien. And they made it like, why would you think that my name was Token? Like, if you thought I was saying Token this entire time, you're the idiot, essentially, which is... Okay. I mean... I bet if I watched it, it'd be funnier, but right now I'm like... It was. A little confused, but... Okay. Yeah, it's, it's hard to explain, but they basically changed the entire Yeah, so that aspect of it is a little tough but uh yeah i would it is 100 it's a very unique very fast-paced show it's the jokes per minute is out of this world i mean from visual gags to every other line is funny the music is funny you know every, it's so funny it is so funny yeah and it is such a good indictment of american pop culture of the early 2000s. I, I love it. I, and it holds up, too. It's not mm-hmm. It's not like some comedies from the era where maybe I liked it at the time and maybe I don't. It, I liked it as a kid. I like it as an adult. Yeah. 
I mean, and it does have enough uh, great pop culture references in it to, you know, fix it in time, but not like. No, you don't even have that. to get the pop like, culture references. Like Natalie pointed out no, that you don't. Joan of Arc was wearing a hyper color shirt that got that changed color when she was angry. Um, but <laughs> I didn't even realize that was like a 90s thing. It's like a mood ring. So but you're wearing a shirt. And so it's like if it changes color with your mood. Yeah, my favorite line that fixes it in time is uh, during the film festival episode. Uh, Jonah of Arc is like complaining about uh, like Cleo's gone overboard with her uh, big mm. movie. And um, Joan says something to the effect of, well, it can't be more beautiful than a sunset. And uh, Cleo says, does the sunset have a soundtrack that was written by Smash Mouth? <laughs> Awesome. Uh, it gets me. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I'm I'm psyched that it's coming back in some form on HBO Max um, sometime in 2022, I believe. Uh, I'm really happy that those episodes are now on Paramount Plus, which is great. And it was renewed for two seasons, also, not one. And any any final thoughts? Anything we forgot? I think I've said everything I want to. What about there's, you? There's there's so much to talk about. There is so much to talk about here, mm-hmm. and I just want to say it's a dense it is. show. It is a surprisingly dense yeah. show, and uh, I think it can be summed up in one line, which is said by Abe concerning Cleo. Look, JFK, we kissed, and not to exaggerate the importance of it, but we're going to be together forever. Beautiful, beautiful reading, beautiful show. Happy it exists, and I think with that, we are done. Uh, I'm really happy to be back. I'm so happy to be back with you. you. This is so much fun. I can't wait to do more. Yeah. We have so much to talk about, and God willing, we'll try to keep it under an hour and a half, but it's tough. (laughs) It is tough. We've got thoughts. Uh, Ian, where can they find us? At One and Done TV on Instagram, at One and Done TV on Twitter. You can email us at not not at, but you can email us at the word, not the symbol. <laughs> One and done pod at symbol gmail.com. Uh you you know, email us like stuff that you think you want us to cover. We already have a big list. Uh, but you know, don't don't email us. You don't have to email us. We're not gonna I don't know how engaged I'm going to be in that. Do not, under any circumstances, email TV at gmail.com. We do not own that email. I don't know who it is. You're going to get a very confused person on the other end, I assume. Um, also, we have oneanddonetv.com. We'll be just posting episodes and, you know, updates, but probably not anything you you won't find on our social media as well. You can Venmo me money at Hamill Chin. Uh, just send me money. Any amount of money is fine. The more, the better. Uh, you know, I got the whole starving artist thing going on. So I appreciate it. John doesn't need your money. He's fine. Yeah, you got yeah. you got a two-story house with a basement just, and a big garage. You're all right. Send it to Ian. I'm good. 
And I also want to give a shout out to Art Stone of Mr. Bunker's Conspiracy Time podcast, who helped us tremendously in the development and technical aspects of this show. Uh, I also contribute to Mr. Bunker's Conspiracy Time podcast. So if you want funny, irreverent takes on conspiracies that the hosts tend to never believe, check them out there. And a big, big thank you to Adam Barnett, who wrote our theme song and our theme music and did a phenomenal job with that. And also check out Vaca's Vegan Creamery in Chicago, which he helps run. It's a great vegan ice cream place that makes everything, uh, what what are, what are they, ethically sourced food. They pay their workers yeah. fairly uh, livable wages. So it's a great place and you should check them out. And tune in next week. We'll see you then. Bye for now. What's his name again? Uh, Geshi. Yeah. Okay, bye. Brought to you by Lack of Hustle Media.